we had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are three years and 16 days into 14 days to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and a very special guest from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, Melissa. Melissa, it's always a pleasure to see you. How are you? I am well, Johnny and Bruce. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's our pleasure to have you on here and you're always welcome. Bruce, how are you today? I'm healthy and alive. A uh, little, little sore. Uh, kind of. Yes, I know. You know I was get, uh, I was observing uh, that particular team building exercise when I came in tonight. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yes, I understand <laughs> why you're yes. sore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of that, uh, but also physically sore. That that's a little bit of pride uh, that's sore, but uh, uh, a little bit of physical soreness as well. We moved the fridge and moving the fridge. I'll I'll spare the listener from the 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 fine details, but let's just say you're 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 pushing a large box through a crooked door. Uh, it's it's very difficult. You know what I found was interesting when I actually, when I came over here, they don't have a problem with crooked doors and they don't have a problem with ever getting a piece of furniture through a door. Do you know why? Why? Because all of the doors are the same size. Oh, really? Yeah. So they solved no deviation. the problem. Yeah. They solved the problem of uh, furniture not fitting through a door or an appliance not fitting through a door. And they just made all the doors in the country the same size. That is so um, typically efficient of, you know, the, as the Germans are. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's very German. strange, isn't it? I mean, it's just, I, yeah. you expect nothing less out of them. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, in prep, and we have not discussed this, but in prep, Melissa, you said you've been down a rabbit hole or two the last couple of days. And I'm curious to, to know what you've been down. So... Uh, let's get into that. And I know we were talking a little bit about our, our hometowns and the overall atmosphere that's uh, taking place uh, across the United States right now uh, as it relates to to people and what's going on in people's communities. So I think that would be a great uh, conversation to have today. So um, how about you, you start us off and, and let us know uh, what you've been researching and we'll go from there. Well, I'm not too deep into a lot of it because, I, you know, it was just sitting last night thinking that I was going to be talking to Johnny and Bruce on dynamic independence and what was new in the world, because I've been a little, it seems I'm always focused on things other than current events. So I have to stop and say, what is new? So I, I did the rounds, you know, unfortunately, sadly, there we have another one of these shooting events in Nashville. And so I'm looking at that and seeing 
what's happening in Israel. They're protesting, the French are protesting. So I'm just kind of doing the loop around. And because I got into the protest thing, I went to Germany to see how the Germans were doing. And and they are either about to embark on or they are already in the midst of a transportation strike. That's correct. And yeah, but as I was just looking at things that came up around German news, I came up with an interesting story. And that was that Germany needs, they want 400,000 skilled foreign workers into the country each year. And I thought, boy, that is a huge number. So there are, there are a couple of things about that that little journey that I took that were interesting to me. And the first was that that catchy headline, Germany needs 400,000 skilled workers each year. I thought it was brand new. But I, as I went on this journey, I found out that in January of 2021, they floated that headline. In August of 2021, they floated that headline. In December of 2021, they had that headline again. Then by November, it's turned into, of 2022, this has turned into legislation. They're going to streamline the visa process. And what they said in late 2022 was they were going to turn the visa process upside down to bring in enough skilled workers. So that got me asking some questions about employment in Germany. And my research showed me that German unemployment, now they're claiming that in 2022 it was above 5%. But for all of the years, even 2022, that's disputable because some sources I looked at, it was still in the three point something. But the overall, from the big statistical aggregator, the overall unemployment rate hovers around 3.2 to 3.5%, and it's the fourth lowest in the EU. And there was one government site that I looked at that said, we are robust in our um, employment stature right now. We don't have needs. We are thriving, et cetera, et cetera. So what is at work here? And I, that just, I just kept going with that. Um, country to country and came to the conclusion that I'd already concluded a long time ago, which is we're talking about the overturning of existing populations, particularly in the West, but for whatever excuse, whatever excuse is needed, they've got to make sure that the existing population is replaced by whomever they bring in, whoever they bring into the mm -hmm. country. Yeah, and that's happening in Ireland. It's our, you know, it's already happened in France. It's happening in the U.S. You know, replacement is the yes. goal. Yes, and uh, that's not actually a um, a. a <laughs> I, I hate to even try and justify this because it's just ridiculous. But this is not some crazy right-wing QAnon conspiracy theory, uh, what you're talking about, as the media would have you believe. This is an actual program out of the United Nations. It's called the Immigration Replacement Migration Program. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's it's been in place since the 90s. United States, we've been It has in, been, but it's, yeah, yeah it has been. It was a list. Uh, somebody from Ireland had written to talk about what's going on there and who who is actually coming into the country. Uh, so I, I checked on Ireland's immigration right now. And of course, it's characterized in the news. Now, what the Garda, that's the Irish police, are saying is that at the present today, this week, 
the protests have died down a little bit, but they're not protests, you understand. They are far right nationalists. It's yeah, always course. far right or right wing. And they characterize these are not um, replacement countries like Eastern Europe. She characterized it as African, um, Eastern European replacement. But the only thing that they would cop to in several of the articles that I looked at are, you know, Ukrainian refugees. And that's just not no, that's True. not that's not the case. That that's not the case at all. And you say that uh, you know specifically, you know, the Germans are saying four hundred thousand skilled workers a year. Okay, where are you getting those from? Skilled workers. Mm-hmm. What skills do the people that you're bringing in in mass? What skills do they possess? Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm not trying to be condescending here, but we have some of the most highly trained people in the world in Germany, in France, in the Netherlands, in Italy, in the United Kingdom, in Spain, in Portugal, and they're not migrating here. Mm-hmm. So what skills do the people possess that are being brought in? Same thing in the United States. They say the same thing. Well, we're, we need skilled workers from Central and South America. You need those skilled people in those countries building and developing those countries. Well, I mean, even if you're talking about we know that they've that uh, India, for instance, has been training managerial class workers for decades now. Yeah. Even if that is what Germany meant, that we need management level workers from India in here, you can see so many contradictory articles within the German press and particularly the governmental sites that talk about how robust their economy is right now. And it's not necessarily being characterized as a growth economy, but for the level that it it is at their employment needs are satisfied. And yes, you can look at other statistics, like they have a very low fertility rate. It is certainly nowhere near replacement rate. But that also is by design with all the attacks on fertility, marriage, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's this is nothing but the um, the warp speed implementation of the UN yeah. program that you're talking yeah. about, and and more than that, uh, you've got programs that are well, I shouldn't say programs, initiatives rather, by places like the World Economic Forum, where they openly say today's refugees are tomorrow's CEOs. So they're mm-hmm. planning for that already. But again, with what skills? What skills do they possess that we don't have or we cannot have here? I understand the need for bringing in a specialist from time to time into a company that is from another country. I understand that all too well. I get that. But that person is already qualified before they get there. And they already know that. That's not what Mm -hmm. this is. Most of these people that are coming in, again, I'm not trying to be condescending here, but most of these people that are coming in, whether it's across the U.S. southern border or into Europe or, or whatever, most of these people cannot read or write in their own language. And so what skills, again, I'm asking, do they possess that we do not have? Mm-hmm. So, and again, this is not this is not a racialist or a nationalist no, 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 uh, no, point conversation like because the disruptions. I mean, the U.S. and the CIA have been down in Latin America, for, you know, since the 1950s, overturning government after government. And let the, let's let's think about what the West, in particular, the U.S., has been doing in the Middle East. So. The fallout for these people who are being brought in to replace us is very real and it's very tragic, but it is agenda. I I think we touched on that a couple of weeks ago. You know, let's not let's let's identify who the perpetrators are. 
Well, there's a couple of ways you can look at that. Yes, you can look at it in terms of what we have here. Okay, I was actually doing a little bit of research on this earlier this afternoon, actually. These immigration centers that they're setting up across the United States, the ones that have the fully furnished uh, rooms, flat screen TVs, comfortable beds, on-site gyms, three-course meals, fully astroturfed uh, soccer fields and swimming pools, heated swimming pools and all the rest of it. Who's actually financing that? Somebody's paying for that. Who's actually financing that? Well, if you start digging and you look, you find the same people are always responsible, among many others, but I'm just going to list the top, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street. It's always them. Now, there's that's one way. That's one way of looking yeah. at it. Okay, because again, now that's not saying that that is the group that's actually bringing them there. They're just the ones Mm -hmm. managing them when they get there, right? So Mm -hmm. there's there's a there's several tiers to this, I guess. You also have Catholic charities. That's not saying that they are associated with the Catholic Church. Catholic charities are most of them outside of the Catholic Church. You've got them. Mm -hmm that are getting money funneled to them to bring them in. You've got George Soros working with Mm -hmm. MasterCard and the United Nations to fund each leg of these journeys coming from, Mm -hmm. say, uh, Argentina or, you know, somewhere in in deep in, in South America. They'll have these centers set up in each country along the way. And that's that's not even that's not even mentioning how these people are being fed along the way. Have you seen these people that are coming in in these large caravans through Central and South mm-hmm. America into the U.S.? Big old beer bellies yes. on them. And they, they've got new Nikes and gold chains and, and smartphones and, and new haircuts and everything else. How are these people being fed? I mean, you're talking about thousands of, of calories a day that people like that have to be fed in order to keep moving and walking like that. Where is all that coming from? Then uh. you also have the agenda of the communist bloc countries. They use these hordes and hordes of, of the downtrodden masses, as they call them, in these poorer countries, and they'll weaponize them, using them through these charities to flood them into the, to the United States and to the European countries, knowing that it's going to overwhelm our social systems and cause jam-ups. The systems themselves become unusable, unmanageable, and unworkable for us that are already in these countries that are living here. That causes a, a big problem that way. Then you have the wider geopolitical implications that Bruce and I were discussing the other day, and that is the establishment of an Islamic caliphate, a world Islamic caliphate. You've got the Saudi Arabians primarily that are ahead of that. They're sending people in mass to the West, be it the United States, Canada or, or Europe, whatever, you know, the UK and Australia, and they will bring their entire families here and then they will have eight, nine, ten kids here. And they'll raise them in that culture here. And so you've got several different ways that all of this is being done. But I think it all leads back to the same problem. Well, and it, and it's you, you. One has to keep getting above the the fray of it, above the ring of it, and you know, and that's a hard thing because you you point, you can see the management level perpetrators of this. And then for the the guy who's just watching hordes flood in over the border of whatever country they're living in, I, I've seen this for decades, too, whenever there is a, a, a period that we go through a lot of illegal immigration and then we have fallout or loss of jobs or whatever's going on around that, is they point only at the immigrant who's coming into the country 
and they take out all of their frustration on the immigrant. And of course, that's terrible and useless. It's useless. Yeah, and and the clear, other thing, too, speaking. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'm sorry. Just, I, just just to make this point, to be clear, I'm not anti-immigration. I don't think any of us are. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. I myself am a product of immigration. I have family that came from from Europe in the early 1900s to the United States. And they had children and grandchildren there. And I'm a product of that. I'm not against Mm -hmm. immigration. So to say that you can stamp me with one of these uh, crazy right wing national ultra national. Give me a break with that nonsense. okay? let them Mm -hmm. peddle that crap in the newspapers, in The New York Times and The Washington Post and all the rest of it. That's not who I am. That's not who we are. So just to be clear, I thought we'd throw that little disclaimer in there. Yeah, I mean, because I really this particular Avenue. I just went down yesterday evening, um, but one of the I haven't had a lot of time to research every angle of it that is interesting to me. But one of the articles about that juicy four hundred thousand skilled foreign workers needed each year in Germany. There was a quote, and I, I wrote it down here. And I, if I can read it, it says that the change. This is in the visa program. The change is the only way to get these huge numbers of people to Germany. Many countries are suffering right now. That is the quote from the CEO of a migration startup called Who Moves. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have the time to look into who moves and who funds who moves. And, you know, it probably. (laughs) But, you know, that the that lie there that these huge numbers of people are needed in Germany was what got me going and then looking at lots of different statistics. And one of the places that I circled around to, because earlier in the week and last week and the week before, I've been thinking about bankers, uh, a lot about um, private bankers and the so-called, I mean, the Federal Reserve System and the European Central Bank. These are all private bankers too. But so I've been thinking about bankers And as I was looking just at employment, what I came upon, who I came upon was Edward Dowd. And you've probably heard him. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 I was um, I was kind of shocked at at a comment that he made last week uh, on on another podcast. But uh, because I I couldn't believe what I was hearing. He said that at the end of all of our problems, it all hinges on the politicians and central bankers. And I I just have a different opinion of that based on my own research uh, is all. So I just I understand that that they are an issue. Don't don't misunderstand. But that's not our only issue. So pointing to that as the root of our problems, I I think, is inaccurate. Well, you know, Edward Dowd published a book and I don't know when it would have been, but I'm thinking probably more than a year ago or but at least more than six months ago because he was doing the circuit advertising it. And I don't have the name of the book in front of me. I but think it was called... His thing... Uh, so, died, was it... It wasn't died suddenly. That, it no, wasn't died suddenly. It was... Um, uh, you're close, though. Yeah, I, it was It was about the... Uh, or Cause Unknown. That was it. That's what it was. Sorry. Cause, cause Unknown. Unknown, yeah. He, yeah. He's the actuary guy. He's do, Or he's one of the actuary guys. He's doing the numbers on excess deaths. And he's been on the rounds a lot talking about excess deaths. And these statistics are interesting and they're very useful because I think it is clear. It's clear to even people who want to bury their head in the sand that this vaccine, this so-called experimental whatever is killing people. But 
Edward Dowd is a banker. He's a hedge fund manager. He's Black Rock. He is former Black (laughs) Rock. And this is the thing. I mean, yeah, I'd heard him and that's some interesting stuff. But after spending so much time thinking about bankers, the thought crossed my mind this morning. Why do all of the whistleblowers and the so-called advocates for medical freedom and so forth, why do they all have to come out of authorized mainstream science and research or banks in the case of Edward Dowd? I mean, are there no qualified people? And my response to that, my the, the answer to my own question is, we're living in a completely controlled system. And of course, our whistleblowers and so-called truth tellers are going to be coming from the belly of the beast, so to speak. I haven't listened to enough of Edward Dowd's uh, talks and heard him enough to see if he had some come to Jesus moment. I haven't heard his testimonial because at the very essence of the market, and I'm not speaking as a, you know, anti-capitalist or anything like that, but the very nature of a market system means that someone is benefiting from someone else's suffering. Some winner is gaining from someone else's loss. Why be a whistleblower now? Why be a truth teller now? You get what I'm saying? I do, yeah. And he and may, you know, he, he, um, he may be totally genuine, but... He might be. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but I do know that to do what he did, he was a portfolio manager, if I'm not mistaken, through uh, for BlackRock. And his uh, task was to project out market trends and anticipate what those trends are going to be and and what the risks of that would be, and then invest accordingly on whatever he thought that was going to be based on the the trends and the patterns that he saw. And he was able to turn, and I could be misquoting the figures, I I do apologize for that. He was able to turn, I think it was a $20 million portfolio into a couple of billion in a few months. I read something similar. Yeah, yeah. So, and he did that for, I want to say it was almost like 20 years he did that. Yeah. Now, you can't work as uh, one of these heavy hitters for these hedge funds, like especially BlackRock, that hold $10 trillion, right. you know, conservatively in global assets. You don't work in one of those positions for them at that level if you're incompetent or you don't know what you're doing. So I have faith in the fact that he knows what he's doing and he, he understands what he's talking about. I, I yeah, I, I he definitely knows the markets. But the one thing for any listeners that and I'm not the the BlackRock maven here, but um, a huge segment of their business is buying up private property and running commercial real estate asset acquisition. So a huge part of their business is making it hard for us. So, uh, you know, I I mean, I guess what I I, like I said, I was thinking about bankers. I was thinking about um, the way that we have been uh, basically threatened with the stick of what's happening. Is it going to be a huge crash? Is this going to be something like the great financial crisis, as they call it, of 2007 and eight? Um, I was listening to Edward Dowd speaking with someone, I think it was recorded two or three days ago, and he was um, speaking of a much grimmer scenario. And again, he gets into um, market aspects. Uh, I think he was talking about T-bills and how they had sold negative, and that's only happened five times in the history of 
T-bills, and one of them was right before the the Great Depression of 19, you know, like we're talking about 1931, I think was the year that he mentioned. So he's giving us a, a grim scenario of the future and saying that it's all, and now the case that he was making in this interview was that this is being orchestrated by in conjunction with the Federal Reserve System, so that eventually we'll end up with maybe six major, and this is globally, six major financial institutions running everything, which will make it much easier to implement a central bank digital currency or the CBDCs that we keep hearing about. So that was the direction that he was going. Then I have, I was doing some digging into Jamie Dimon, who's the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. And that's the, I think it's James Pierpoint Morgan, one of the early industrialist gangster bankers, right? <laughs> so, and, and, you know, Jamie Dimon is being called America's banker or the banker of the world, you know, just so. But I was looking at how J.P. Morgan benefited so heavily during the 2008-2009 reorganization of things after that market drama, um, specific to something called TARP, which is Troubled Asset Relief Program. And this is the way that it was characterized. They said that J.P. Morgan did not need this money. Now, this wasn't technically a bailout, but it was the money that was swimming around uh, freely during this time. And the way that this was characterized was that they really pressured J.P. Morgan to take the $50 billion, which is kind of funny. They said, we need you to do this because some of the smaller and mid-sized banks are reluctant to take the relief. And we need you as a solid bank to take this money to show them that it's okay. I mean, is that not hilarious? <laughs> that is. Uh, and, and, you know, to your to your point about um, some of the stuff that Edward Dowd was saying, uh, to go back a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't disagree with him. And the reason is um, we've talked about uh, before on the podcast and traced down uh, over $140 trillion that have been printed since uh, 2008, and they've just been handed out uh, loans, handed mm-hmm. out to various companies, and those companies haven't paid them back. There's only been a couple companies that have paid back the loans that the government has given them. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's a hundred and trillion, $140 trillion, it, it's such a staggeringly large number of uh, how much currency is is on the books here. I, I tend to agree with him that it's Everything is on it's it's on a knife's edge and all it's going to take is just a little push and uh, getting it down to um, they have what's coming up in July. I believe this year in July, they're setting out to release uh, Fed now, which is it's not a CBDC, but it's the uh, ground floor of CBDCs. It, mm-hmm. It's it's um, a direct involvement. You can create an account with the Federal Reserve and bypass any other bank <laughs> and mm-hmm. you can do your uh, digital banking through that um and that's you know that's going to be the first step uh, to the cbdc now if you have that and then you have uh people using it and saying oh yeah this is not bad this is nice 
And then we have uh, a banking collapse or or more turmoil, whether it's real or, uh, you know, fabricated. Um, you could potentially push people into this system and say, hey, look, um, you know, the economy looks rough. If we get everybody on this system, we can do a universal basic income or, you know, we can guarantee your money safe or, you know, uh, mm -hmm. they'll spend something like that to, to trap people into this. Yeah, I mean, no doubt that that is the outcome. and. You know, see, doubt is is right again in this interview that I was listening to earlier today. He said, um, you know, they had this crazy idea after 2008 that what they were going to do to deal with debt was to create more debt. And he said, now we've reached the point where that has to be paid back. And that is where fundamentally I would disagree with him and all bankers. And I return in my thinking to Alan Watt. Uh, and cutting through the matrix and how he talked for years and years and years that money itself is a con that the the and it has been a con on the go for many many thousands of years so i i hear it all the time and i hear it from people who say that you know they're hip they're waking up they understand what's going on but they still are buying this assertion that the only that we have to have a reset that we have to have a central bank currency and that we have to have um universal basic income there's nothing else to do when the people who run the con could simply say okay well we've let that get a little out of hand let's just start over and wipe out all the debt i mean what is it you know at at this point as alan would have said it's ones and zeros you you could easily tear up debt, forgive debt. But this is a con and it's a con that has enormous human suffering. It always has down through time. And we're living through the enormous human suffering of our time. So I, you know, again, I mean, you take, a, you take what you can from people, but a banker is always going to, or a hedge fund manager, whatever, they're always going to give you either the good news or the bad news, because Jamie Dimon said in an interview that he had done with somebody from Bloomberg a couple, three weeks ago. I'll back up a little bit. The reason why, as I was looking into the bankers, this juicy little tidbit, and I don't know if you've heard this, but Jamie Dimon has been subpoenaed by the Virgin Islands over the involvement of which they allege he had direct knowledge of J.P. Morgan Chase and the sex trafficking of Jeffrey Epstein. And, uh -huh. uh huh. And so I was listening to him talk to the Bloomberg guy. And now this is, this is just a little observation. It, it probably means nothing, but it was about a 15 minute interview at some financial event that was taking place in Miami. And whoever was filming it made sure that the camera was always on the Bloomberg journalist's face when he was talking or asking a question. And when Jamie Dimon was responding, the camera immediately moved to him. His, his responses were always filmed. But at one point, the Bloomberg guy asked about the this subpoena from the Virgin Islands, because Staley is the character, this guy named Jess Staley, who was who stepped down from Barclays. He was a longtime J.P. Morgan Chase guy. And evidently, was bosom buddies with Epstein, spent a bit of time on uh, down in, you know, Epstein's little 
his palace getaway. down there. Yeah, and the yeah, uh, his getaway, the, uh, the Virgin Islands area. Yeah. yeah, and he exchanged twelve hundred. Staley exchanged twelve hundred emails with Epstein, Epstein, and you know some of these were on. I guess probably most of them were on company email, but the bottom line is they allege there is no way this goes straight to the top and that's Jamie Dimon. All right. So back to the interview and the camera. When the Bloomberg interviewer said now, and what is going on with this case? And Dimon said, well, naturally, I can't speak to litigation. Now the camera's on him. He said, naturally, I can't speak to litigation, but we've got the best litigators he made sure, and you know, at this point, his answer was just to reassure his shareholders, right? And it was, you know, a pat answer. And then they go back to the Bloomberg guy, and he said, "And and your their assertions about your involvement are something like that." And if this is the one time in the interview that the camera did not give a facial reaction from Jamie Dimon. They shot him from the back of his head. When he said, well, it's too bad, but that's human nature. And that was it. They moved on to the next topic, which was, you know, Jamie Dimon saying, oh, yeah, don't be panicked over what's going on right now. I, I think we could still have a soft landing. <laughs> uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Why, why yeah. is it that all of these uh, these high profile individuals in finance and I, you know, I, I heard it summed up in uh, in a book that I'm reading, actually, that or that I read. I, I, I'm on to the next one. I'm reading so many now. Morality doesn't extend to the financial and the political class. It just doesn't. <laughs> why, yeah. why is it when you get to these levels of uh, of these uh, finance types or these inner circle corporate types? They all engage in the same exact activity. I'm talking about the Epstein stuff. They they all engage in the same exact thing, it seems like. And and wherever one thing goes and, and one person goes, that activity is not far behind them. Mm-hmm. And and let's, you know, I mean, I I don't know the personal morality of a lot of these characters. You don't, you get a little with the things no, now no, and again. You, you don't. It's just but, you're looking at the connections that you're making on the surface like you're doing and, and uh, you see they, that they're all engaged in the exact yeah, same thing every time. They so. are. But the the more interesting part of that is not their own personal predilections and moral corruption. It's the fact that what, you know, it's very, very clear that what Epstein had was a global honey trap operation that many, many countries and many, many financial institutions were involved in. And they all want to come out smelling like a rose. You know, Epstein's dead, right? Ghislaine Maxwell is doing her. I don't know. Maybe he's dead. Well, you guys said. I I think he is. Don't don't misunderstand. I think he is. But Maxwell, really, she doesn't get to name a single person, and she's in some uh, high society uh-huh. so called jail. Come on. Yeah, I know. But and and if you look at it, I mean, there were a lot of people who wondered if her own father actually ended up off that boat or, you know, with Uh plastic surgery. And, and, you know, I mean, Uh but but what I was thinking is, yeah, I know, you know, she it's a a very 
high-class facility that she's hanging out in these days, and she hasn't had to um, dirty anybody's reputation except her own, seemingly. And, and you know, there's a, a few fall guys here and there, but not many. But that is that seems to be how it's done, is that the real perpetrators, you know, they, they'll sacrifice a Maxwell to a certain extent or an Epstein to a certain extent. But all of the the politicians, the the bankers, the financiers who really ran the operation, they always come out smelling like a rose. And I doubt we're going to hear any more on the Epstein case, what was in that black book or any of that. I, I seriously doubt we're going to hear anything on that one. Um, no. They, they I, did yeah. say they were going to release some of the names in the black book, but we speculated the names that were going to be released were going to be like, you know, the baggage handler or, uh, you know, the, the chauffeur or something like that. that that's, that's who they're going was. to. And that's what it was. Yeah. The, the first rounds yeah. of releases, that's what it was. It was just a bunch of people that we already knew. <laughs> well... So here's the thing, you know, again, we discussed this in in prep and and we can talk about this because I I wanted to get into this part of the conversation too. all of these things that that we're all discussing and these points that you're bringing up. These are all relevant points. These are all uh, things that that people should at least try and take an interest in. I I mean, I don't expect anybody to to dedicate their entire time and existence to looking into that stuff like we do. But (laughs) at the very least, I mean, these kinds of things and and these types of of actions and these types of individuals, these people make decisions that affect the way that you raise your family. They affect the way Mm -hmm. that that you're uh, able to maintain your quality of life and your standard of living. Don't you care? That's always been my biggest argument was, why can I not see any inkling in, in people to want to care about anything? I, I just don't I don't see it. Because I look at things, and, I, and I've worked in the business of, you go after the wrong kind of people, as in, like, you go after the wrong kind of people to, to bring them down. What's the one thing that they fear the most? And that's exposure. They don't want to be exposed. They want to do their deeds in darkness. That's how these people operate. These people that are in these apparatchiks of power are no different. They fear exposure more than anything else. And if people would just care, call them out to their faces, publicly shame them, that's enough to, at the very least, prevent it, if not circumvent it altogether. But I can't get that through to people. I can't get that point across to people. And and like I said, when I was... um, when I was back in the States and I, I saw the state of my, uh, my hometown, I saw the, uh, the attitude and the looks on people's faces. Bruce summed it up pretty well. He says, you just get this feeling like it's, it's just this, this depression. Like you, you get the feeling that it's in the air. You know, it's, it's just this, this horrible dragging down on your, uh, on your, your emotional state when you're just walking around in public. And I was describing how people's faces, they just had this look of just uh, kind of like shrugging their shoulders off and, oh, well, whatever. And I, I just, I can't process it. And, and it's not indigenous to just the flyover part of the country we come from. It's not indigenous to that at all. I was talking to, uh, to somebody that I know out in Phoenix. That's a major U.S. city. And they're seeing the same thing down there. They spend some time in Colorado. They also spend some time up north uh, from there in in Salt Lake City and over in in parts of California and Las Vegas. They see it the same way all the way through. So it's not Mm -hmm. like this is restricted to just one area. But, you know, I I I just think that if people took a half of a step to want to care, 
and spoke out, even if it's in within their own circles, I think that's enough. That, that's enough to even recognize the problem. I'm happy to, to include the two of you in this. I mean, I feel like I'm just kind of ranting here, but there has to be a change in people's mindsets. There has to be a change in people's attitudes. If we have any hope of wanting to fix this down the line and address these problems, well, these things have to be that fixed. Famous, you know, what's that famous thing when they came for the blah, blah, you know, the one that I'm talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah, they came for the, yeah. uh, the, the Catholics. I didn't care because I wasn't Catholic. Yeah. For, yeah. And yeah. when they came for me, there was nobody left to speak for me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that that really is. Uh, see, unfortunately, I think we've gotten to the heart of the matter, which is human nature. Um, and I see uh, someone asked me recently in an email why Alan Watt, who had started off in the late 90s and the early 2000s uh, he, and, and talking about the occult was a was part of what he talked about quite a bit, in fact. And then he moved into a different format, which was more topical, the kind of the news of the day thing. And, you know, now I had had conversations. I, I even think that Alan had mentioned this on air a time or two, which was there, there was the urgency, the rapidity with which these changes for the new system that we are now in um, were being brought about were so rapid. We had to do something and people had to know and they had to take a stand. But the one thing that that I have thought about a lot is what by by get by sharing the news of the day and then showing people how this fits into an ancient agenda. And when the news of the day is so horrific and there's so much fallout and so much heartache and, and loss of life and, and it. If you cannot bring some righteous indignation to the four of your, you know, to the, to your own being, if the, if these stories don't fill you with righteous indignation and enough of that so that you are moved to actually say something or do something, then for, then indeed we are lost. And I think that that is why it's not necessarily, I mean, it gets old, I know, and boring to people, you know, okay, all right, they're doing this, they're doing that. Now what? Well, the now what is these stories, whether it's bank crashes and all of that fallout or people who die suddenly or excess mortality, these stories should enrage us. <laughs> they should make us want to take a stand yeah, and do it something. Does, it does with me. I'm just like, like behind the scenes, Bruce knows this better than anybody else. I think he, he and I every day. And behind the scenes, I'm like, let's put the foot to the floor. Let's put the pedal to the mat. Let's get on this and let's do this. Yeah. And I just, I, I can't even, like the, to the average person that I talk to, it's like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Yeah. You know, that's just. I'm all right, Jack. I'm okay, yeah. Jack. <laughs> yeah. 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 Or as we started off um, before we started recording, it was uh, live in the dream. Yeah. I mean, live I was being sarcastic, dream. of course, but I mean, I, some days I feel like I am digging through all this research and, and everything else that, that we're talking about and, and things like that. It's, no, but it's, you were, I mean, you were being sarcastic, but you were, you know, this was a real life encounter where you always met someone and asked how they were and they're living oh, the yeah. dream. And yeah, I know yeah. a lot of people, you know, yeah. they, they love life. They're okay. They've got food on the table. They've got a little bit of money in the bank. They've got enough disposable income so that they can get the apps on their phone that they want on their phone. Um, maybe they take a vacation once a year. Like everybody else, they had to live through the rough lockdown, you know, 
crazy time, but now things are looking up and they're living the dream. And for so many people, I mean, that was another thing that this Edward Dowd, you know, the black rock guy we were talking about, he just quoted in his gloomy interview. He said, this isn't me, but just the other day in the Wall Street Journal, they said that they had identified 186 banks that may have problems. And again, I mean, I, I think we all think all? that we, you Is know, that all? yeah, for sure. <laughs> Is that it? You know, 186 banks. I mean, OK, so it's his idea that there may only be six big banks left standing at the end of all of this. Past all of the looking at the characters behind the scenes and the things that are going on to bring about a central bank digital currency, because this credit, some kind of Chinese social credit system that is going to be worldwide. We are going, they've, you know, Alan's talked about, you know, Bertrand Russell, they've told us about this system for gosh, nearly, a hundred, probably 100 years now, 90 years, the, the credit idea, um, where you're going to be given what you need every month. You can't save it up. You, in other words, you cannot build wealth. You certainly can't create wealth. And that's you. And if you say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, you will be censured, censored, shadow banned, whatever. But eventually, you will not have your credits that you need to survive. That's the system. Comply or die. It sounds like you'd be living the dream. <laughs> yeah. it? That's what it sounds like. What a terrible, terrible yeah. way to, to exist in, in the world yeah. that would be. And I, I just, I, I mean, I see that obviously, and, and you see that, of course, and Bruce sees that, and our listeners see that, but getting somebody to understand that, look, that's coming if you don't pay attention, if you don't start speaking out and, and recognizing what the problems are and the path that we're on. If you don't see that, then this is how you're going to end up. This is how your kids and your grandkids and your great grandkids are going to end up. And again, it's back to the same argument. What, what do you mean? I don't understand. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to be the crazy radical American that still believes in some of the American ideals. That comply or die is very American, but in the reverse. It's, it's the American people telling the politician, we're the boss. You, you comply to our demands. That's the way it's supposed to be, at least here in the U.S. Well, we have, we, you know, they gave us the framework, you know, for that republic, if you could keep it. You know, they gave right. us that framework, but we nobody is willing to sacrifice even a moment of their comforts and pleasures to fight and I for believe, that. I believe that uh, that's honestly, I believe that's our salvation out of this mess. That's what I believe. I don't believe yeah. that our systems need to be replaced. I made this argument last week, and and that's what uh, these communist countries like China are hoping. Uh, you know, these people that are carrying that message through a scientific management system, like what Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum are, are talking about. They're talking about overthrowing our systems. No, our systems are not the problem. The problem is the corruption and the people that are within our systems that are corrupt that are creating this problem and making it worse. So, well, the trouble. Yeah, I mean, I. I yeah, the, the framework is there. It was a beautiful, it was a beautiful dream. It's a beautiful framework. But the trouble is that you, I mean, let's go back to um, the Bretton Woods 2 and all of the players around uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt, um, the white whose name, first name escapes me, but was one of the Bretton Woods 2 architects. All of these guys had either socialist or communistic sympathies, 
Um, basically, what I'm saying is this infiltration of corrupting ideas and people who did not like the framework that we had been given in this country, this is now 80 years on at the minimum, this this takeover. So it's and it's all the Agenda 21 or now, they, you know, Agenda 2030, all of the sustainability, all of the ESGs that the banks and everybody else is pushing down our throats, that everything has to be sustainable and woke and socially aware and green. This is all down, it's micromanaged down to the local level now. So it really, our recourse now is not to say, well, we've got this system, we've got this republic. It is the people saying, no, I've got, okay, sorry, I was watching football, but I've got that righteous indignation now. Without that, there, it, it's hopeless. To, to give a glimmer, of, a glimmer of hope in this, um, I, I've kind of mentioned this before. Americans are really, uh, it's kind of reminiscent of the Western culture in general, but Americans especially are really bad about um, letting things get bad and being slow to awake. But then when they finally do wake up, they move mountains, if you will. So there's still hope that we, we can still get out of this. The trouble is uh, there is so much information out there on what's what's happening, what they're doing to us. We, we've literally talked about, we're having to catch up on like 70 years of information behind the scenes because of stuff that's going, that has been planned for a long time, as you said. Yes, yes. The, the, the overthrow has been long running uh, now. And to get caught up, well, I mean, the American people have a lot of catching up to do as well. Uh, I mean, just just basically understanding um, uh, what what's going on in the moment uh, is it's going to take a bit. Uh, to to really grasp it if you haven't been paying attention. Yeah, and um, that's where I mean. Sorry, oh, go ahead. I'm just not. I'll let you continue. I'm just curious. Uh, was that William White that you were thinking of, or do you do you know specifically? No, because um, he was at the time. I believe he was the chief executive of the New York Central Railroad Committee in a lifetime. No, this is. Uh, hang on, just a second. I'll look it up. Well, it's okay. I'm uh, I'm just I'm digging through one of my books here, and I, I thought maybe he would be listed in that book. So uh, it's okay. Continue. Yeah, uh, it's it's just I hate it when my mind fails on me, but it happens so I know. regularly. It happens I, all I, the I time honestly should. When Harry Dexter White, Harry Alan Dexter hated White. the way that I said Harry. <laughs> he hated the way the Yanks pronounced Harry like a hairy man, <laughs> but yeah. Harry Dexter White and John Maynard Keynes. Maynard Keynes. Now Keynes was the uh, or Keynes. However, you say that Keynesian, Keynesian, um, Bretton Woods architect, but Harry Dexter White um, basically was accused in his lifetime of selling secrets to the Soviets. And I think that pretty much all historians, no matter whether they're sympathetic to him or not, the sympathetic ones say, well, yeah, he did, but he didn't mean to do anything sensitive. He wasn't anti-American, you know, so whatever. But right. yeah, Harry Dexter sure. White. <laughs> Selling secrets yeah. to the Soviets. He, no, he wasn't anti-American. Right, uh, sure. No, not at all. <laughs> he, he just, you know, he meant well. Um, I'm going to look him up right now while we're talking about him. But he was, I think he was Treasury Department. Uh, yeah, he was a senior U.S. Treasury Department official. Now, the interesting thing about that time was that the the senior guy 
uh, at the time was Henry Morgenthau Jr. And that's the Morgenthau plan that he was a major guy of the New Deal. So he was in charge. He was the head of the Treasury at the time of Bretton Woods II. And Harry, Harry Dexter White uh, was a senior U.S. Treasury Department official. Um, it goes on to give his background and so forth and his his key part in the Morgenthau plan and the Bretton Woods conference. But here, here's the meat of it here. Accusations of espionage. 1945 security officer Raymond Murphy interviewed Chambers. This is a, a Whitaker Chambers Soviet agent and identified White as a member at large, but rather timid. I think that it's the Venona. Uh, uh-huh. The Venona papers. Uh, I yeah. mentioned those last yeah. week. Yes. The the Venona papers I I can't find that here now but that he had there was um I can't remember the name that kept coming up in the Venona papers that they thought went back to, oh here it is well there's okay. a lot of names okay in the so Venona papers. the the Venona decrypts at various time now these were all decrypts that they said identified Harry Dexter White um, lawyer Richard jurist. There were a few others, but they said that White was positively identified by the FBI through evidence gathered by the Venona Project as a Soviet source codenamed Jurist. So anyway, not to get too far off on this, but what I'm saying is that for now 70, 80 years, we have had these people in high places. Um, The bankers are very, very often part of something that is clearly anti-American. Oh, for <laughs> but sure. now if we're going to talk for about, sure. yeah, if we're going to talk about a global system, you know, let's just say that these bankers are anti-human. Yeah. And yeah. they seem and to always be involved in, you know, whatever is worst for humanity. It And, you know, it, it's interesting that when when you look at it in that context, they do these things when they take these meetings. I'm doing the air quotes meetings. When they take these meetings, they do this voluntarily. Mm-hmm. It, it's not like they have, well, um, I'm in a bad spot here. I'm going to have to go in there to that meeting with these these uh, organized crime people. And and because that, you know, they're threatening. No, they voluntarily go in there and sit down and broker these deals. Mm hmm. Every single time. So, by Absolutely. the way, another person that was mentioned in the Venona papers along with that was uh, Alger Hiss. He was the, um, the head of the State Department at the time. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're looking at that particular, excuse me, um, but that particular post-Great uh, Depression, pre-World War II entrance into World War II, because we know how um, nasty and and how not like the history books that actually came about. And then post-World War II and the whole restructuring of a financial system. They're always trying to help us, aren't they? Oh, well, we've got to overhaul Yes, they're this, always trying or, to help yeah. us. Just like right now, they're fighting inflation on our behalf. Well, that's awful that's kind right. of them. Yeah, that's awful kind of yeah. them, wouldn't you say? You know, I was talking yeah. yesterday about how from their point of view, as in from the central bank's point of view, the hedge funds, they've got a pretty good system in place for them. I mean, from, from their point of view, wouldn't you say? They're printing mm-hmm. money. They're buying their own treasury bills. They're expanding their balance sheets. And they're putting all of that back onto us. So from their perspective, Mm -hmm. they've got a pretty good system going. Why would they want to change it? No, it's beautiful. It is. Indeed, it is. 
Life is great if you're in the 1%. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Barring anything else, we can go ahead and call this one done. You got anything else you'd like to discuss in the closing moments here? Nothing burning, nothing pressing. No, it's it was um, enjoyable as always. And hopefully there's something useful that came out. The whole thing is useful. It's always a pleasure having you on. And we look forward to having you back. We'll see you in two weeks. That's great. I look forward to it. Thank you. Wonderful. Again, that is Melissa from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, where they maintain all of the life-collected works of the late, great Alan Watt. I encourage all of our listeners to get over there and give them a look at all of the wonderful things that they curate over there. Uh, again, that's CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Also, subscribe to Melissa's podcast. Uh, it is quite entertaining to listen to all of the stories that she puts together. And I'm assuming you got more of those coming. Yes, Melissa? I do. I'll have another one up on Thursday. The one I had up last week is was entitled... Henry's Log Home. And I really enjoyed that when I managed to take excerpts of about 18 different songs and edit them into the talk. And it, it, I, I was entertained by it. <laughs> so. And again, uh, that is uh, Real History with Melissa, correct? It's on Spotify? That's right. That's correct. It there is. It's on um, Apple, you name it. All the podcast platforms. Fantastic. All the Again, podcasts, yep. CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and Real History with Melissa. I would like to thank both of you for being here this evening. It's been an absolute pleasure. As always, we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you to all the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great evening. <laughs>